Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Marty Stetzer, president of EKT Interactive in Houston. This podcast is brought to you jointly with Upstream Intelligence in the UK and is part of our oil and gas learning network. Today, our topic is data-driven efficiencies in oil and gas. With an estimated global value of $31 billion by 2020, digital oil field is the oil and gas industry's hotbed of innovation. It now includes big data analytics, artificial intelligence, and the Industrial Internet of Things, or IoT. Today, as podcast media partner with Upstream Intelligence, I'll be speaking with Trond Ellefson, an industry veteran now totally focused on AI applications in oil and gas. Trond is chairman for day one of the May 2018 Upstream Intelligence Data-Driven Drilling and Production Conference, also in Houston. We're really happy to have Tron's perspective on applications of artificial intelligence to oil and gas. Tron, welcome. Thank you very much, Marty. Thank you very much for the uh, introduction. It's good to be here. Can you give our listeners some of your background as we get started? Absolutely. Um, like I've been in the industry for many, many years, and uh, that is probably one of the reasons why we are talking, because once you have been in the industry for many years, you develop a perspective that is quite unique. I'm an en- uh, engineer by education, and before coming to the U.S. in 2011, I have been almost 20 years with Norskijo. I've been uh, Norskijo and Statoil. And those companies, I had multiple leadership and global positions. And uh, the last five years here in the U.S., I served as a CIO for Statoil in North America. And I also uh, had a couple of years as uh, a special advisor on digital strategy for Statoil. So uh, not following a normal career pattern, I resigned from Statoil in 2017 to become a, uh, the CEO of a company called Invatara. Invatara means self-learning, and it is a spearhead company within autonomous operation and uh, artificial intelligence. What we have found is that the oil and gas industry, they are in need of holistic knowledge, and that is what I think I bring to the table by the the years of uh, service in the industry across multiple functions and processes. Tron, thanks for participating. It was interesting when we met. I didn't realize when you were at Norris Hydro, you covered everything from SCADA till network analysis, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But now, what are you trying to do with this new organization that you're leading? Our, our company is basically uh, putting in place an autonomous brain in the field. So our vision is that by 2025, Every well should have the autonomous capability in the, uh, I I would say, in the age of the Tesla and the autonomous car, there should be no reason why the oil field should be less autonomous than a car. It's even less complex than than, uh, a car. So what we do is we put self-learning distributed AI algorithms in the field, and then we retrain the models in the cloud and we have entire autonomous solution uh, as a service uh, to run every oil field completely autonomous, taking away maybe 
80% of the workload that is required out in the field. It is not about reducing the number of people working. It is about taking the human out of the equation in dangerous situation out in the field. And that is what we are what we are doing. And we actually have a client that wants the complete transformation of their their company doing this. So that is very exciting. One of your comments, again, when we met, was very interesting to me as another industry veteran. And I'd like to start there. You said that oil and gas is at an extraordinary moment in time and a major inflection point. For our listeners, can you elaborate on this observation? Absolutely. Um, and I think also this goes back to what, what you said here is but like uh, when you have touched all of these things that the industry has been doing for many, many years, if you have the knowledge of SCADA system, if you have the knowledge about ERP systems, network analysis, databases, and you have seen all of these, you are able to spot certain trends or patterns. But, but uh, before I go uh, get ahead of myself here, I think uh, the the uh, question that you asked here, the extraordinary moment in time and the inflection point, needs a little bit of historical context to to uh, fully understand what what I meant by that statement. And uh, I think we need to, uh, when looking at several hundred years of perspective, many of the innovation that have impacted our world has been transformational. And, and let us, for simplicity, call them pattern changes. And what is special about these major pattern changes is that they have the power to change many aspects of our physical world and the quality of our lives. There are, however, very few of these changes that contains the transformational power that is strong enough to make the very fabric of the world change, like the fabric that glues the world together. When you get a ripple in that, that is a major pattern change in the way that work is done, money is made, how, how uh, we live our lives. I, uh, if I could mention a few examples here, like uh, such m massive or major pattern changes would be uh, the ability to produce books when we invented the electricity, uh, when we had the car, antibiotics, nuclear skills, the transistor. Even all of these are, are examples of major pattern changes. However, these all lead to incremental step changes in their, uh, if, if you look at uh, the short-term perspective. But after 2007, this changed. Computing power, connectivity, storage, processing power, and all of these transformational powers came together and has acted as uh, accelerants or self-fueling digital enablers towards the point where the industry, the oil and gas industry stands today. And that is uh, why I think that this is, uh, this is an unprecedented moment in time where we are living inside a moment that is captured in a matter of years, rather than looking at how long the car industry uh, was able, or the automotive industry was able to penetrate the market, the world market. Now we are experiencing this transformation during a couple of years or in a matter of a decade. And that is very, very extraordinary. And that gives uh, our kids a lot to think about. <laughs> so, Tron, you, you come at it from the standpoint of what I call the high-impact technologies, as opposed to what we normally think about in oil and gas 
such as horizontal drilling and fracking in the upstream, or digital control systems in the refining and and the petrochemical side. This is a very interesting perspective that the outside influences are going to have more of an impact on us than what we come up as engineers internally. Is that correct? I, I would I would say yes. That's a that's a good that's a good statement. And I think that we are for the first time we are observing that the oil and gas industry are, by, are being influenced by other industries. But we need to also look at if we go from that hundred years perspective and we go down to the more like five thousand feet perspective and say for the last thirty years. Uh, the, the reason for this happening now to the oil and gas industry is that oil and gas companies have been very comfortable and in a very uh, good financial situation with only a few financial downturns. But none of these have resulted the, that the operator is really looking fundamentally at the way that they operate. So they have been comfortable with these small incremental changes or the baby steps as many managers, not leaders, have praised it being the art of doing things in oil and gas because they haven't been faced with any external existential threats for the last 30 years. So, so with that as an operational canvas behind you, there has been no or lit, uh, little or no incentive to change because they have primarily been printing their own money in the industry for the last three decades. When 2015 happened, and now with almost three years into the downturn, we see for the first time that companies that are not agile, not nimble, have seen their revenue streams being cannibalized by smaller competitors that are agile. So the, we are truly living in, in the moment in time now where it's not the big ones who eat the small ones, but the fast ones who, big, who eats the, the, the slow ones. And that is something that the oil companies are now starting to realize. So while they have doing, been doing this incremental changes in functional isolation. Now there is a opportunity uh, with the technology coming together, that horizontal drilling and those, yes, these are important things, but these are incremental small baby steps within the functional processes. So what you need to really need to have focus on now is like the broader change canvas that is impacting the industry and not only the the, the the narrow functional aspect that we've always been doing inside oil and gas. Does that make sense? It does. And the other point you made uh, earlier in your conversation and when we met is that digitalization is really one of the step change functions that can help the industry. And, and of course, they have to keep their eye on it so it doesn't uh, pass them by. And some of the numbers you gave were like, a two to three billion dollar a year savings with better digitalization. But more importantly, a point you made was inside a company, one of the biggest assets is its data. And yet 99% of the data is not used. Uh, why is that happening, Tron? So uh, and that's a good question. And that is exactly why I, what I mentioned about these functional silos. Inside these functional silo, uh, each of the companies have been uh, mainly been developing their solutions in functional isolation with no incentives to share data. So a geoscientist wouldn't uh, share data with a petrophysicist or the petrophysicist wouldn't share the data with uh, the operational people in the field. So now for the first time, we see that in order to be able to be successful with artificial intelligence, 
or big data analytics or what have you. You need to be able to create a layer where you have the ability to harvest data on a broader scale across multiple functions. And that is something that is missing in the industry. So, of course, when, when, uh, when we have 2015 happening and then 2016 and everyone was starting to get uncomfortable, everyone started launching uh, huge projects for becoming digital. We have all of these companies with amazing uh, ability to tell what they are, what they intend to do and not so much what they are doing concretely. So, of course, the first thing that they do, they, uh, they uh, take out people from the organization. And that is like a tap, tap, crack. Uh, you shouldn't do that because it really doesn't impact the cost. And those people are what you need as a one of the digital levers for the future when you want to enable all of these new technologies to teach the models. So the companies have been through uh, a situation now where they have looked at, okay, let's start a few projects, artificial intelligence. Let's start a few projects with machine learning. Let's do some robotics because that sounds cool. But most of these projects, they will fail. And I think that knowing ERP system implementation quite well, 75% of ERP systems uh, fail in the implementation in, uh, in uh, oil and gas. I would suggest that probably as much, uh, much as 80 to 85% of the projects that are currently ongoing in the industry will fail because they are only incrementally focused on the small bits and pieces that belongs to the past and the legacy. And they are not for enabling the future harvest of data and for the companies to become agnostic to the tools that you use, but more focused on the view, where do you want to be in five years? And very few companies and even fewer of the vendors have their focus on these things because they really don't want to solve the problem. They just want to continue doing what they are doing because that is how they generate revenue. Don't fix the problem. Tronda, in addition to the data silos that you did just mentioned, you also talked about a broader holistic view when we met. And the analogy you gave was, let's look at upstream all the way from the land acquisition leasing process through drilling, through production, all the way to the market. Can you elaborate on your, your ideas on, on who might be uh, able to be doing something like this or how the companies might go about getting this broader perspective? I, I think the, um, what I hear uh, from the big operators is that they have uh, several things that are hampering their ability to change. I would say primarily these are related to politics, culture, symbolism, and the lack of incentives, as I mentioned earlier. So by saying those four things, there are very few, uh, there's not much likelihood that the industry, at least the bigger companies, will be forced to change until you have a lighthouse up and running. My belief is that there are a, small, a few smaller companies that are nimble and they, are, they, have, uh, they don't have the financial muscles as the big corporations do. 
So they have to try to find other means and other ways to solve this. And that is by running this as manufacturing does, like purely and highly optimized processes end to end from the birth of the the birth of the well and to the death of the well. And how can you optimize that? So I think that the smaller companies, because of their um, they they do not have the legacy to consider when they make decisions. They are able to do this much better. And that will be very similar to what we have seen in other, if you look at the brick and mortar, for instance, and you can see that uh, companies like Sears, Macy, JCPenney, et cetera, they find themselves faced with an almost unbeatable competitor because they have a legacy and they have stores to pay for. The same is with the big companies. They have a legacy and they have a lot of vested interest in the current legacy, the cement of the company, I call it. So they will find themselves most likely now uh, in need of doing change without having the ability to do the change. Interesting, interesting. I, your comment on bricks and mortar, uh, you know, missing innovation, especially due to Amazon. I just saw a recent article that one of the reasons Amazon has Alexa in your uh, living room and kitchen and is now tied to uh, Whole Foods, as you probably know, is groceries next. If you're able to get on Alexa and order everything you need from Whole Foods, what's going to happen to the other very strong regional grocery chains? And it's interesting that the innovation is is not a better piece of supply chain, but it's a better way of getting the order management cycle handled, and that is through Alexa rather than you know going to the store or picking it up or walking around the store with your list on your cell phone. So I think this is the kind of thing around that people see around them, but for some reason we can't seem to translate those things that we see outside of oil and gas inside oil and gas. And you, you said another thing when we met was the hard stuff is the soft stuff. Is the soft stuff uh, causing some of this inability to innovate? Absolutely. I, I think uh, the people aspect is not being considered strongly enough because the people that you want to go through change, uh, if they are not part of this and they, are, they cannot uh, visualize themselves as part of that change journey and the future, there is very little likelihood that they will play along in going into this. So you will meet a lot of resistance. So what I hear from the the big uh, companies is that they launch maybe 10, 20, 30 different projects within these areas that that has the potential to become transformational. But uh, by disregarding or having companies or consultants in that do not understand that this is not about technology. This is primarily, this is 30% technology, but it's also about change management. It's about the governance part. It's the digital foundation that you build. Uh, It's about the data access. It's the governance of the whole thing. Uh, I'm talking about the operating model of the company that is not fit anymore for a hyper-connected world. So, so, uh, and people, in order to make changes to the culture of the company, uh, you really need to invest a lot and understand how the company works. And that is why I also, my previous comment about how many projects will fail is that one, yes, they do not consider all the functional silos with data, with uncorrelated data. And the other thing is that 
they do not consider the fact that you are dealing with people and a lot of people with a lot of power that will be uh, in need of some change in order to participate in this journey to be successful for an oil and gas company. So uh, another aspect to that is also the, the vendor industry. And they do not have an interest because if, uh, if they change the way they work and actually start delivering solutions to the oil and gas industry, well, their revenues will be cannibalized as well because they have been tailor-made to, to, uh, to tap into the revenue streams of the oil and gas companies in the most profitable way. So once what they want to do is to deliver as many projects, as many outsourcing, uh, making things as siloed as possible, rather than trying to bring things together holistically, either uh, through um, hampering access to your own data uh, so that they can continue having their revenue streams tied to the data uh, and the analytics, or by outsourcing the competency of how the systems works. So we are inside a very interesting complex of problems that the industry needs to solve by creating a lighthouse and say, look, this works this way. And I think uh, several companies are looking into re-innovating their, their oil field so it works from birth to, to, uh, to, uh, to the death of the well. Tron, one other thing that the industry did years ago, and, and uh, as a way of trying to overcome the silos, as you know, is to put together cross-functional asset teams and uh, very highly cross-functional field development planning teams. Are they just not working as well as they should, even though they've got the organizational structure? Uh, I would maybe uh, give you a, a lawyer answer to that. It depends. It really depends on the uh, on the stuffing that you have around these teams. If they are focused and are give, being given incentives as a team that they have to work together in order to be able to release bonuses, etc., well, then there is a higher likelihood. But today, every company they uh, they give bonuses and incentivize the people only for their performance inside the functional silos and not what they achieve in total. There are very few companies that have holistic uh, measures uh, in place or KPIs in place to, uh, to, uh, to help go in the direction of a more holistic view. Tron, thank you so much. These insights will really be valuable. There's a lot uh, for companies to put in place besides the data structures and the new machine intelligence uh, is what I'm hearing. Well, this will be really valuable to both the Upstream Intelligence and EKT Interactive listeners. Do you have anything to add if our listeners need more information or where they might look for uh, some of the call lessons learned or better practices in this area? I, I, I would think um, uh, the, the advice that I have been giving when, uh, when I have been asked, okay, so, so we have all of these projects ongoing. We have all of these initiatives, and I think um, I, I think every every person. Uh, I read one book uh, by uh, Simon Sinek called "It Starts with Why," and I think that is a a good statement to start with. You actually need to understand very clearly what you want to achieve, and not embark on this with a what. 
the technology because the solution is not about technology. It's having a clear understanding about the why you are doing it. And that is much more important than running your, your, uh, your projects the way it's done today, where you hire in a company and what they do is apply basically statistical models to a known problem and they deliver some incremental small value. That is not artificial intelligence. That is at best a little uh, uh, slice of machine learning, but it does not help you as a company to overcome the, uh, the, the challenges that you have in order to become truly digital. Because when, uh, when becoming truly digital is all about the why. How are you going to be able to put your data in such a way that you would be able to harvest all of that dark data, the 99% that you're not looking at today, to optimize the way you run your field so that you understand better the operational aspects, so you can have fewer incidents, so that you can uh, have a, a cash flow that is determined out of your, how you run your asset from hour to hour based upon how the market moves. These are things that doesn't happen in the oil and gas industry. That is kind of, uh, I, I, it's really strange that the industry has not come further in implementing this when the benefits are so huge. So I would uh, look at the smaller companies that are doing something and those that have been forced because of their their uh, revenues or they being very very thin how they have implemented a more holistic value chain we have a few companies that do not talk so much about how digital they are but they are doing a lot of things uh, that i find is of transformational nature for the industry and that is not about solving yesterday's problem but having a clear interpretation of where they want to go why they want to go there and how they are going to do that. And that is the last step, how you're going to do that. Most companies are only focused on the what now. And that I think is a distraction. John, that was a terrific summary. I guess we all have to start saying why more than what, even though that's tough for an engineer, isn't it? I, I would say I would say yes to that uh, to that statement because it requires you to rethink the way that you always learned how things should be done. I think the more knowledge you have about this, the more complex you make things in your head. The thing is, with the technology, such as artificial intelligence and, and uh, analytics, there is a benefit from looking at this with a pair of new eyes, having new resources, data scientists working on this problem, providing a new perspective to all of these data and teach the rest of the people that have been looking at this in just one way inside their functions for many, many years. So I think the, uh, the data scientists and the new generation of millennials that comes into our industry now and look at this and, and say, hey, why don't you do it like this? And most of the engineers will say, well, that is not possible. Well, here's the data that proves it. So uh, that is what I've heard in several companies that they have been forced to look by putting people that does not necessarily have the 30 years of experience, 
but putting people that look at things in a different perspective, not limited by the barriers of their own knowledge, but that are able to uh, understand uh, the, 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 how the data looks in a different perspective. John, again, thank you. That, that was another wonderful summary. And we really appreciate your time and, and insights on our podcast today. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. To learn more about how the important oil and gas industry works, be sure to check out our free Oil 101 series at www.ektinteractive.com. It's now mobile ready, and you can watch and listen on your phone. Thanks again for listening.